0: Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. At the King's Church, we exist to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel. You're about to listen to a sermon from our weekly corporate worship gathering. If you want to follow along with the sermon notes, they can be found on our website, kingschurchlkld.com. Sermon intro yet, so I didn't know when to come out. <laughs> and I'm hard of hearing, so I was like, Ryan, is it, is it over? Is it, I think it's over. It's hard. Okay, good. Uh, my name is Michael Mears. I am, uh, like Pastor Pat said, a, one of the lay pastors at Alethea, Tampa. Uh, I know some of you in this room, but a lot of you I don't know, uh, and so I am super excited to get to know you uh, during this time, and I'm, like, pumped that the kids are in here, and I'm going to be honest with you because I'm, like, 10 on the inside. Ian's like 62 (laughs) on the inside and so is his hairline. We've had to take these moments now uh, because he's not here. Uh, So if you've seen Ian, imagine someone who has a hairline like me but is like 10 years younger uh, but has a soul 30 years older uh, than me. So I'm super pumped that the kids are in here. Uh, So I know you've got some squares to fill out along the way on this sheet Uh, And so you can put down Michael, you don't even have to put pastor, it is what it is. Uh, You can put Michael down there. And then if you missed the text, kiddos, um, the text that we're in today is Matthew chapter 6, it's verses 19 to 24. Uh, The kids at Aletheia do say that I'm the funniest pastor on staff, Uh, and so hopefully your kids will find that to be the same today. Uh, I will confess, though, that I am known to be a little long-winded, and there is no shot clock here, Uh, and so (laughs) we'll see what happens. I was like, that was dumb, y'all. you didn't even give me a clock. Um, I tried, I asked for one. So You know a little bit about me, but I want to get to know a little bit about you. Uh, today in this text, you're going to see some either-or statements from Jesus. You're going to see some, some choices that you have to make between one or the other. So I thought a really great way to get to know you would be to ask you a couple of questions. And we're just going to go either-or. all right? And so what I want you to do is I'm going to have you raise your hand on which side you're on. Now, the whole stage right, left thing gets confusing. The, follow my hand. So first hand up, we're going to do this. This is if you're a Coke person. So if you're a Coke person, I guess you're going yeah, to match me, right? Good job. If you're a Pepsi person, other hand. All right, Coke people, put your hands down, and we can shame the Pepsi people. <laughs> like, what the, there, there are Pepsi people in Polk County? That's like, that's like unsweet tea people here. That's, that's not right. How about this? Let's do mountains, and then let's do beach. All right. The sand is God's glitter. It's so frustrating. All right, here's a good one for uh, married folks. If you're single, just look around, and you can make a decision based off of this. Toilet paper, you're going over? Toilet paper, you're coming under. The under people make no sense to me. I'm all about some gravity. I'm like, it goes down. That's how it's supposed to work. Maybe that doesn't make sense in my head now that I said it. All right, two more, two more. Uh, Dog people? They're actually cat people. Cat people? Oh, man. Uh Uh-oh, we have have a cat person. She's so excited. There's a reason I'm allergic to them. Uh, Let's do one more. The last one, probably the most important one. Uh, Florida State? Uh, Yeah, you know the other place. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, at least we know there's some sinners here, so that's good. Uh, So today we are looking at this text on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus really does lay out for us some either-or type of statements, really a line in the sand of sorts. Um, Pastor Ian said this in the first week of this series. He talked about this example, I I believe it was something along the lines of like a hole or a scuff in the wall, I'm I'm trying to remember, it was a few weeks ago when I listened, but the reality is you have these things in your life that, that you've seen, that you become familiar with, and you forget about them. It's kind of just, it is what it is, as we'd say nowadays, right? And, and so you kind of just get familiar with it, maybe apathetic towards it, like, I'll get to that one day type of thing. And the Sermon on the Mount's the same way, right? Because you, you, whether you've grown up in church or not, uh, most of you probably, I'm assuming here, have, have heard this text before, or at least some iteration of it, in terms of where your heart is, or maybe where Moth and Rust Destroy, that's a popular part of this text. So it's, it's something that if we're not careful, we've become overly familiar with. We just said, ah, yeah, that's cool. I remember that verse. That's a really great verse. But what happens is when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you actually study it, you have one of two choices. The same way it's Coke or Pepsi, Beach or Mountain, you have one or two choices when you read the Sermon on the Mount. You either have to say, man, that guy was crazy to call us to live like this, that guy being Jesus, or wow, this actually disrupts my life. I, I told Pastor Ian this week when he and I were talking a couple of times about it that when I think about uh, this text, I, I always think about the, the image of this being actually Jesus calling us to live in an, an upside-down world. It's an upside-down kingdom that we're being called to live a part of. And Ian goes, well, that's funny because that's what the second idea was for the name. Because this is so counter what our world lives like. And if we could be honest with ourselves this morning... In some ways, this is counter how the church is living. And so this morning, I'm pumped that you're here because if you're a person who's been a Christian for years, that is fantastic. This morning, though, it may be uncomfortable for you, but I hope ultimately what's not uncomfortable is my bad jokes or anything I have to say. I hope what's uncomfortable this morning are the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that he presses into some spots in our heart that maybe we have said, eh, that's a great text. I know that text. That's so cool, but but I I don't want to think about that. Or maybe you're a brand new believer here this morning and that is amazing and that's fantastic. And this is a great text to go to. The Sermon on the Mount as a whole is a great text because it's the instructions on what it looks like to live as a believer in this world. Or maybe you're the person who's the skeptic. Maybe you're the person here, like, like Rob mentioned earlier, that like they're so glad that you're here, that they have literally thought about everything in this service to invite you here, that if you're not a Christian and you just come home with questions or a friend brought you or promised you lunch, whatever it is. Maybe it's a girl, I don't know. Like, whatever brought you here, I don't know. But this morning, the good news is that we get to look at the Sermon on the Mount. So maybe you have frustrations with the church. Maybe you have frustrations with Christians. Maybe you think they're all hypocrites. The great part this morning is we don't get to look at King's Church. We don't get to look at Michael Mears or any other person in this room. This morning, we get to look directly at the words of Jesus and what he says the Christian life should look like. So that's what we're going to do this morning in this, in this short little text. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you for each person that you've brought here this morning. Uh, Lord, you promised us, God, that you ordain our steps. So, God, it's, it's not a coincidence that, that we're all here today. Lord, it's not a coincidence this is the text that you have for us, God. And, Lord, you are so massive in your knowing, God, that you know every detail of our lives, God. You know the hairs on our head, God. You know um, the corners of our hearts, God. You know the good, the bad, and everything in between, God. You know if we're rejoicing today or if we're suffering today, God. You, You know if we're angry, if we're sad, God, if we're happy or we're mad. You know, God. And so, Lord, I thank you this morning that your word is what's living and active, God. And, Lord, I thank you that your spirit is what is present here amongst us. And so, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, God. Lord, I pray that any conviction this morning would be from you. God, I pray any comfort would be from you this morning. So God, I thank you for this text. Lord, help us to let go of our, of our things, of our stuff, of our lives. Lord, give us freedom this morning through this text. God, give us joy to see how you have called us to live. God, thank you that you're better. Lord, may we taste and see that today with eyes that look to eternity, and that's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so let's go ahead and, uh, and get started here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. W.C. Fields once said a very famous line that I absolutely love. He says, a rich man is just a poor man with money. Because we we look at this text and we begin to look at at what Jesus is saying here. And I think there's going to be three questions in these sections. At least that's how I've broken it down. There's going to be three questions that we're going to ask ourselves this morning. And the first question we're going to ask ourselves this morning is from these first couple of verses. And that question is, what are we working for? What is it that we're using to spend our, our resources, our abilities, our time, and our energy for? A famous pastor once said this, he said, hey, if, if I want to know what your treasures are, let me look two places, your checkbook and your calendar. Right, that's an amen or that's an ouch, I don't, I don't know how you want to take that. But that's a real question that Jesus begins to press on for us here, is what are we working for? So maybe the question then is this, what are the things that we could be working for that moths and rust and, and thieves, they steal and they destroy? What are those things? I'm going to give you some honest examples from my life, and then I'm going to kind of like go out a little bit here and some of your lives. Like For example, for me, one of the things that, that I think that I, I pursue and I work for that isn't lasting, that's temporary, is technology. Like I love a good laptop. I love my, my iPhone. Like I, I love those things. Those are great. Those are awesome. But the question is, am I laboring? Am I working? Am I pursuing something that honestly isn't going to last long? And when we say long, it's not about, is there a lifetime warranty? Because we know good and well, a lifetime warranty is talking about an earthly lifetime warranty, not an eternity warranty. Maybe it's a home. I did not realize when I bought a home, how much moth and rust and just life and time would destroy my home. I feel like I got lied to. Like, I mean, I remember like, People older and wiser than me being like, "Dude, it's an investment," and I'm like, "Dude, it's an investment in a hole. <laughs> like, it's an investment in constantly paying more money." When we moved from Tallahassee to Tampa, uh, we rented for a little while, uh, and and I'll tell you what, man, renting is the life, right? Like the AC breaks, and I was like, "Hey, man, your AC's broken." We're in the process of getting a pool. But you know what? When we rented, hey, someone else took care of the pool. Now, I don't know what they did in that pool, but someone else took care of the pool, and it was awesome. Man, the grass is getting long. Hey, man, your lawn people, you and your lawn people need to hug it out. Y'all need to figure this out, right? Because we know this in our home. Anytime that you buy a home, as soon as you you buy the home, the first thing you start doing, man, we should really do that. Man, next bonus, oh, man, like what if we... Man, some crown molding. Like, wouldn't that be nice? like, crown molding? Man, we need new countertops. Don't you think we need new countertops? And you know the biggest curse of all this, right, when you buy a house, is once you fix one thing in your house or improve one thing, what happens next? Well, man, we did that room. I guess we should go to the other room. I'm, like, optimistic that 20 years from now, I'm going to run out of rooms. Right? And then you know what's going to happen? We're going to go back to the first room we did, and man, that room is so outdated. <laughs> because that's what happens. We are laying up, if we're not careful, we're pursuing things that don't last. And we're just constantly throwing our effort, our time, our energy, our resources, our money, everything into it. And ultimately, it just doesn't last. Pablo Escobar, has anybody ever heard of Pablo Escobar? I love this story. Don't get too excited if you know Pablo Escobar, right? He's a drug lord. You're like, yeah! All right. Kids, he did bad things and made a lot of money doing it, and he made it the wrong way. I forgot. I didn't know kids were going to be in the service today. (laughs) So here's the deal, though. This is crazy, kiddos. Pablo Escobar, this guy, he didn't do it right, but he made an incredible amount of money. Billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, right? Every year he made that kind of money. But do you know this interesting fact about Pablo Escobar? that they would stuff the money, like cash, because it wasn't legit how he was making it. So it's not like he could go to Bank of America and be like, hey, keep it for me, right? So he would keep the money in these different buildings, in these warehouses, and these storehouses. He'd stuff it in the walls. He'd, stu- he'd probably sleep on it. I don't know what all he did. Do you know how much money rats literally and water literally damaged every year of Pablo Escobar? He had accountants that kept up with how much money he was losing, and they just wrote it off, they said, "Hey, look, he is losing 2.1 billion a year to rats and water." That is like the definition of this text, that you could gain the whole world, as other scriptures would say, that he has everything that this world can offer him and lose his soul. 2.1 billion, the rats are just eating it. The water's just decaying it. Maybe it's a car. Maybe you're the type that, like, man, you gotta have the sweetest ride. Like, that's awesome. You gotta have the rims, whatever, whatever it is. Like, I get, I, I don't get it actually. Um, I have a car with like 180,000 miles on it, and I'm doing everything I can just to limp to the finish. Like, but that is the epitome of another thing that if you are all about the car and the appeal and what it looks like to others, if we could be honest, underneath the car thing, you're chasing something that scientifically rust will destroy. Jesus is saying, what are you going after? What are you laboring for? And I think there's a reason that Jesus really wants us to ask these questions to ourselves. Because really, treasures aren't necessarily wrong. Right? There's two different types of treasures in this story, in this sermon. There's two different treasures here, right? There's, There's lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. But he says, no, no, no. Still lay up treasures. He's not opposed to us working hard and using our resources and our ability and our time and our energy. Like, he's not opposed to that. But he's asking us, what are we laboring for? Because he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you look to Luke chapter 12, there's actually another um, section of scripture where Jesus is talking that's very similar to this text, but he does an even better job here of explaining in Luke chapter 12 uh, what it means to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because if I'm honest with you, that sounds kind of imaginary, I know what it looks like to pursue more money in my bank account because I can measure it and I can see it. I know what it looks like to improve my home or to get the sweet ride or whatever the thing is of this world because it's tangible and it's visible. But sometimes I say, hey, man, are we laying up treasures in heaven? So what does that really mean? So let's look at Luke chapter 12 because Jesus defines it even more there for us. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father, God the father, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom So when we start to talk about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, we all start to do this, don't we? We start to cross our arms and kind of lean back a little bit. Maybe you grabbed your wallet. Like, I don't even know if people carry wallets anymore. You grabbed your wallet, right? Because you said, oh, no, 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 don't start talking about that. And he says, no, no, listen, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The message isn't about what he's trying to take away from us. actually The message is what he's trying to give us. But we actually give, we actually get by giving. It says, sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like I said, a super similar text, but I love it because he goes in a little more detail. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves of money bags that do not grow old. So when we look at the question of what does it mean to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth, I think the thing that we need to realize is kingdom living is not giving the leftovers. Because if you're like me, my temptation is this. My temptation is, did I tithe? Did I read my Bible? Yeah. Did I go to Citigroup? Did I come to church this morning, right? We're all just adding these checklists saying, hey, did I do it? What? And, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the question is just like, what's the bare minimum? A, a musician, probably a decade ago, Derek Webb, he wrote a song that says, give me a new law. Because he knew our tendency, our hearts, our hearts desire so often is just give me the law. Jesus, could you just give me a number, Could you just give me the measurement that I could say, all right, I reached it. And that's not what Jesus wants to do here. He wants to say, no, 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 don't don't think about that bare minimum mentality. He says, no, I want you to think about your heart. What Jesus is railing against in this moment is this Pharisee lifestyle in the Gospels Where the Pharisees are all about the religion. They're all about dotting the I's. They're all about crossing the T's. They're all about meeting all the Old Testament laws. But their hearts, like Jesus would later on say, are far from Him. Jesus this morning is going after our stuff, our earthly treasures, not because He cares about what we possess, but He cares about where your heart is. So I don't have a magic number for you this morning. But I will tell you what, it doesn't look like just a line in your budget. This example that Jesus gives is quite the opposite. The example he gives is I see a need, I sell what I have to meet that need. This is not your cake and eat it to Christianity. This is give them your cake and everything else that you can to help meet the need. This is what kingdom living looks like. This is what the world will go, man, that church, that king's church, it's different. They had someone there in that church that had a need. Man, and they came around and they met that need. And the world wants so bad to see this. I'll give you a perfect example of how bad the world wants to see this type of living. CNN.com, I go there. I don't know what that means. I'm liberal or conservative. I don't know what that means. I just, I just go to CNN.com because it's shorter than foxnews.com. right? So I type it in. I go there, and I read the news. It's probably biased. I get it, right? Okay, so you go to CNN.com, and you scroll further down CNN.com, and there's this section on CNN.com called The Good Stuff. Or maybe if you watch Hoda and Kathy Lee or whatever, Today Show. I'm so not relevant. You watch these things. And and they do the same thing. They tell you the feel good stories, because so badly we realize that we were created for that type of kingdom. And these feel good stories, the good stuff, as CNN calls it, are these tiny little glimpses by God's common grace that the world is actually looking like the kingdom that He created us to live a part of. It's actually upside down living. It's not me first. It's not me second. It's looking and seeing the need and doing whatever we can to meet the need so the question I, I want you to, the first question I want you to ask yourself from these scriptures is what treasures on earth do you find yourself laboring for remember the way to check that is where is your money where are your resources going where are your abilities your skills going where is your time your calendar where is that going and where is your energy going and the good news is, when you assess it that way, if you're a person who's like, Michael, I'm broke, like, I understand that, then the question I would ask you is not so much maybe where are your resources go on, your money, maybe the question is where's your time going? Or maybe you come from a, a situation where you have a little more financially and you can write the check and help the people. That's that's awesome. And that's God's grace that you have that kind of money to do that. But I want you to ask the heart question of where is your time and where is your energy going? I come from a church that's in the suburbs of Tampa, Wesley Chapel area, like Landa Lakes, and that that area is it's like pretty decent like financially people are doing well in that area for the most part but what happens there is we get to, we find a church that can be very generous financially but if we ever ask you of anything with your schedule you have 5000 other things on your schedule and i'd say well man wait what are you chasing are you chasing the things that matter for eternity or are you chasing your kid being the best at his basketball league like what are you, what are you chasing I just want you to ask yourself that. The next thing that we see isn't only what are we working for. The the other thing that we see here is where are we looking. So let's look at verses 22 to 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I'll be honest with you. This is the chunk in Sermon on the Mount in this little section that people skip over because it's like, what in the world did he just say? And the next part's going to talk about money and stuff again. But this middle part's kind of off. I don't, I don't know what's happening here. When I look at this text, actually, when you study this, it actually makes a lot of sense because Jesus has said, hey, look, look at what you're laying up, either it's an, on earth or in heaven. What is it that you're treasuring? And then the second part here, he goes, is where are you looking So what does it mean to have a healthy eye? The same way we ask, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? The question we ask ourselves in this part of the text is, what does it mean to have a healthy eye? Because he talks about a healthy eye versus an evil eye. If you look at the word healthy and what it actually means, like original language, what it actually means is it means like a singular focus. It means an eye that's not clouded with other things or other distractions. It means an eye that is singularly focused on one thing. Now, we live in a, in a time where it's all about some multitasking. It's not about the word single focus, right? We're driving and tweeting. I'm driving and paying bills sometimes. I confess, like, that's not loving my neighbor. Like, we, we do all kind of crazy things, multitasking. At work, I'm, I'm busy taking care of people on the phone, and I'm typing the notes and the claim, and I'm shooting the breeze with my buddy through, like, an instant messenger system, Right? We are constantly in this age of like, we can't focus anywhere for very long at all. And oh my gosh, if we don't have something to focus on, we lose our minds. I can't, real talk, how many of you, I'm not going to admit it, but you know it's me because I've already said it. (laughs) Can you go to the bathroom without your phone? I mean, that is some gross but very real multitasking. (laughs) Just think about it. We can't focus on a single thing for a single moment. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you need a healthy eye. You need an eye that knows how to focus on one thing. You know it's true. You laugh because it's true. You're like, this is awkward, we should laugh. (laughs) I'll give you the example of my own life, another one that's not as gross as the bathroom. Another great example... I'm the type of dude that when I'm driving, I really love eye to eye contact. So when my wife's sitting next to me, I'm like, oh, hey, babe. Hey, hey, hey. No, I mean, I'm not looking at my phone because she's going to get on to me. But hey, 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 babe. And you know what? What happens to the car? Right? We start going this way. And then all of a sudden she'll be like, babe. And I'm like, oh, what? I'm just, I'm driving. I got it. She's like, don't you hear that? Yeah, that's, that's a soft warning. It's a nice little warning. I just test into making sure they put them there. I even do it when I'm by myself. We were on the way here, and we were going through Plant City, and there was like a hog on the side of the road. I was like, a oh. hog! Like, and then it just, it just does it. Because like, wherever your eyes look it tends to be where you're going. That's not revolutionary, y'all. You're not going to walk out of here today and be like, dude, that pastor, you will not believe the truth he dropped today. Wherever I'm looking is the direction I'm going. No. But here's the deal. We know that. But do we believe that when it comes to the kingdom? Do we believe that with how we live our lives and where we focus our eyes? Jesus is calling us to a singular focus. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is really, what is that thing that we need to be focusing on? And I think you can make a really strong argument throughout the scriptures, and even in Hebrews where you get kind of this hall of fame, hall of faith group, and they all have this one thing in common. They lived their lives looking to eternity. Their focus was not on here. Their focus was on eternity. Think about it. When Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, what happens here is Jesus is freeing us up to think about eternity. He's asking us, he's saying, hey, free yourselves from looking all around you and looking here. Free yourselves to see eternity. Because when you see eternity, you realize the things of this world are literally for this little teeny tiny bit of your life. Jesus is trying to expand our vision to see eternally. Because laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven means things that are eternal. He's saying, hey, look, let's go to the word. It's eternal. Let's go to prayer. It's eternal. Let's go to loving our neighbor. Let's go to people coming to know Christ. Let's labor for things that I'll see in heaven. And when people see you live that way, people are going to go, what is up with you? Just like other scriptures would say, they're going to ask you for a reason for the hope that you have. Why do you live so differently And it's because you don't live for this world. You live for the kingdom. And your focus isn't on the stuff. So, what are we living for? And then where is your focus? First, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Hey, it's only one verse. So I'm going to do it again. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The original language for the word cannot means cannot. <laughs> you know it. So many of you know this text already. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I know, Michael. And on the inside you're like, but I can right? It's like, I've got like, at work, they use this term with me all the time. You need a work-life balance. And if we're not careful, we're saying, I've got a money-God balance. I can, I can handle these two masters. I can do it. But the difference between a job and a master is, is, is huge. My job, by God's grace, I come in, I do my job, I clock out, and I go home. That's a job. You are working for whatever company it is. Yes, ultimately for the Lord. But in that moment, you're working for Publix, right? You're working for whatever it is. You're working for that job in that moment. And I get it. And jobs are a gift, and that is a means to worship God. Absolutely, y'all. But when we talk about whether or not money or really what the word means, material things, money, materials, or God is master, we're not talking about the job analogy. We're talking about a master analogy, That's a language that would be talking about slavery. That's a language that would be saying, you really truly don't have two masters. We talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We talk about the upside down kingdom. We talk about what we call this church, the King's Church. And the question is, are there two kings in your life? And if we could look at this text, we could actually see that the answer is, there's not two kings. You think there could be two kings at times. I think there could be two kings at times. My stuff and my life and then God. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm the master. I am the king and you are my servant. He's not saying you come here to Dixieland grammar school, as the sign says. My kid was like, what's a grammar school? I was like, dude, I don't belong in a grammar school. You've heard me talk. Dixieland, we come here on a Sunday morning and we have church. It's not like a job. It's not cool. I clocked out, y'all. I went to Citigroup, man. I felt warm and fuzzy. We prayed. We talked about the Bible. We ate some good food, hopefully, right? Check. That's a job. That's living for the job, and that's not living for the king, It's the same way in so many areas in your life. I love it because God hasn't complicated it. He hasn't. He's tried to make this as simple and clear as he possibly can be. What are you laboring for? What are you chasing after with everything that you have that's temporary versus eternal? What are you looking to? And then the question is, who do you serve? And what Jesus is calling us out on this morning is the lie, because that's exactly what it is, the lie that we could serve two masters. But what's so important here, and I love this language of a master, isn't only the reality that it's not a job, it's a master. You live your whole life serving your master, and it can't be both. I love the fact that that when it does this, we have to admit this about it. If it's not our master, our king Jesus, then it's something else. The language itself tells us very clearly that you're enslaved to it. That's the hardest part. I have been through like recovery in my own life and, uh, and working with other people in recovery and, and helping people with dic- uh, different addictions and slavery and bondage, whatever term we want to give it. And uh, does anybody know what the first step is in any type of recovery system? Somebody just want to say it? Say it louder for me. Yeah, admitting that you have a problem. Right? So this morning we can say all we want that oh man, I don't I don't have two kings, Michael. I don't. Or we we could be honest this morning and say, Man, I thought I thought I could handle two. The best part about this, to me, is not that Jesus is coming and asking to take from you, but he's actually coming and saying, let me free you. He's saying, you don't have to get wrapped up in this world. That's all about the self-help. It's all about the betterment. It's all about the Benjamins, whatever term we want to give it. It's all about building your own kingdom. He says, no, I want to free you from that. I want you to know, like it says in Luke 12, that you have a father who wants to give you the kingdom. It's the kid at the Christmas tree who opens up the one little teeny gift, and it's a ball, and he's like, oh, I'm so excited, I got a ball, and there's a whole mountain of toys behind him in those boxes, and he's so wrapped up on the ball, and God the Father's going, no, 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 I mean, the ball's cool, like, I mean, I love it, I love it, like, don't get me wrong, it's awesome, but listen, I've got the kingdom for you. I want to free you from the things of this world, the temporary things, and say, listen, the way I created you to live, the way the world, like, sees my kingdom is when you live for eternity, not for the temporary. He's freed us up. My wife and I we, we got away at the beginning of the year and we, when we get away at the beginning of the year we, we look at quite a few things in our lives. We look at like how each of us are doing. We look at how our marriage is doing, we look at our family, we look at our jobs, our goals, our aspirations. We, we kind of do this like strategic planning meeting at the beginning of the year, which has been really good um, for us. I'd highly recommend it. And um, one of the things we do is we look at our finances okay? And uh, we, God's challenged us a lot on like being more generous like, with, with what we have. Um, and we'll, we'll come out of that meeting, we're like, dude, this is the year we are going to be generous. We are going to give extra, right? And then you know what happens? Something really cool happened actually. We're like, God, we're going to be generous. And I got a promotion, like praise God, and you know what's so crazy is when you're playing the game of percents about being generous? When you get a promotion, all of a sudden that number gets higher, right? Another revolutionary truth, right? And, and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> like, that's a lot. Man, you know what we could do with that? Like, we've been wanting to do, like, the, the wainscoting stuff around the, like, dining room. It's so funny, man. We start out, we're like, dude, we're going to be generous. Like, we're going to do this. We're gonna serve you and you alone with everything that we have. And then the real world comes in and we're like, oh no, man. Man, that stuff's really good. <laughs> because it's that evidence again that there are parts of my heart, because that's what Jesus is going after here in this Sermon on the Mount. There are parts of my heart that still so badly just want the world. There's parts that He's still changing in me, where His Holy Spirit's like a little missionary and it's just going into the different spots of my heart and saying, no, 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 that too. I want to free you from that so that you could taste and see that I'm good. I want to free you from this so that you could see eternity. And I'm like, okay, you can have that. Oh, no, no, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, I'll take it back. Or you can have that, but like, I'm just going to keep this little part like that. You won't see it, right, God? Like, I'm still more generous than such and such. And that's actually what the verse earlier about the eyes talking about when it starts to talk about like, oh, look how bright my eyes are. Oh, wait, that much brightness actually is just darkness. He's calling out the hypocrisy there that we would think that all of a sudden that we're so great. Man, I'm so generous in, comp- in comparison to such and such. And man, we pick like the worst person possible, right? I almost said a name and I was like, that would not be nice. <laughs> it would have been so divisive. It would have been a bad moment in my life. <laughs> What I want you to leave here with today, other than the discomfort of God working on your heart, what I, what I want you to leave here today with is not a gospel message that says you need to give to get. The prosperity gospel, there are plenty of churches in Lakeland, plenty of churches in this town that unashamedly preach the prosperity gospel. And there are plenty of churches in this town, in Tampa, in this country especially, that whether they do it unashamedly or kind of secretly, they say, hey, look, you give and you'll get. You give and God will bless you, right? You give and you'll get health, wealth, prosperity. You'll get everything that you need. Let's be real for a moment. That tells me that if what you're aiming to get is health, wealth, prosperity, that that is your master. That's what we're after today, is what is your heart saying is your master. Because if the end goal, once again, is not Jesus, but it's something that you want to get, you're just using God as a vending machine. You're treating him like an ATM and saying, hey, God, I'm going to put a little bit of money in the bank, but I'm going to expect you to multiply that and send that right back out. This morning, I want you to hear the message isn't about God taking from you. The message is God freeing you. The message this morning isn't about you earning anything. Pastor Ian and I both wholeheartedly hold to this truth that it is the grace of God that saves us. That There is nothing that we bring to the table that says, oh man, you're so lovely, Michael, you deserve it. What I bring to the table in my testimony is that I have an insane amount of sin and I need an incredible Savior. I come needy and he comes generously. Romans 12 would say this. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. If you struggle with what you labor for, if you struggle with what you're looking to, if you struggle with who you serve, don't start with the behavior work your way back to where your heart is continue to go down and say where is my heart what are my behaviors what or where i'm looking what are what i'm serving like where what is that telling you about my heart because that's where god needs to do the work we are not in the business of behavior modification we are praying we've prayed it this morning that god would change hearts I love it, though, because the, the good news of the gospel isn't only that you and I have a hard time with this, and there's grace for that, and God has given us a community, and I want you to take these three questions. I want you to flesh them out, like whether it's in the car like with your kids, whether it's at lunch today, whatever it is, and I am taking up like lunch recommendations. like I'm a local guy. Like I want to eat local, so y'all just let me know, um, but I'm not rich, so in that bracket, right? Y'all let me know. Let me know after. We're at church. People know how to eat, so just let me know after. But what we do here is we, we look at this and, it's, and we're saying that, yes, I want you to go and I want you to talk about these questions and I want you to be honest. I don't want you to push back the discomfort because so many times we fear the discomfort because all this world says is pursue comfort. But discomfort is evidence that God's doing something. Discomfort is evidence that there's change happening in your heart. Don't fear the discomfort in this moment, but let God work in this moment. But Jesus, yes, he knew we wouldn't do it perfectly. He gave us a community to learn and to, to be a lead repenter, to learn together on how to do this. He gave us a community to work that out among, absolutely. And then he modeled it, y'all. He left heaven, like, ah, perfect heaven. That no one, whether or not they said they've been there before or not, could ever really truly describe how magnificent and how perfect it is. Right? The scriptures would say better is one day in Jesus' courts than a thousand elsewhere. He left that to come here. He left the treasures of heaven to come to the treasures of earth to bring back his children who he treasured. And then where did he look? Right, We see that he left the treasures and ultimately to bring us back because he treasures us. And then where did he look? The scriptures say this. It says, for the joy set before him in Hebrews, he endured the cross. When Jesus is going through the pain, when he's going through the suffering, he is not looking right now, right here at the temporary. He is looking at the heaven. He's looking eternity. He's looking and seeing his children being brought back to him. And he modeled it time and time again as God the Father. He was, as, as, as the Son, he came and he served and he was about the Father's will. Man, what a Jesus. He wants so much more for you than health and wealth and prosperity. He wants you to have freedom from this world. He wants you to enjoy the kingdom, to live what you were created for, to labor for what matters, to see eternally, and to serve him alone. What a gift. What a call on our lives to live upside down. Let me pray for us.